Howdy, y'all. You're listening to The Managing Up Show, a podcast about leading and managing in the world of technology. I'm your host, Nick Means, and with me this week are Travis Swicegood. Howdy. And Brandon Hayes. Hello. So this week we wanted to tackle something a little different. Um, I think it, a lot of it is because top of mind right now are the fact that world events are completely dominating our, not just like our news cycle, but actually our, our entire lives have been altered. And I... Uh, I've been kicking around an idea and, and actually Nick, you're the one that originally brought this idea up that so many people have been asked to go remote. And the problem with having the conversation about how to go remote is everybody's talking about this right now. There's plenty of advice out there. There's plenty of pragmatic and practical and useful advice on how to be a successful new remote manager on teams that are just kind of sort of not by choice, but but by, by circumstance, find themselves in remote work. Um, but it so happens that we've been doing this a little while remotely, me less so than you. And we kind of realize we have a different angle to take on it. And it's less about the idea of being remote teams, but the impact that teams being remote has had on the way that we approach our work as managers. And namely, the way that impacts the idea of someone bringing their whole selves to work. And right now, at this moment in time, where people are anxious, afraid, um, unsure of what the future holds, um, hopefully getting good guidance from leadership of their companies, but still unsure of what the future looks like, um, the idea of bringing your whole self to work suddenly feels very visceral and very real. And I think that idea, more so than, than the effects of you know, like how to do remote work well, I think we'll probably, you know, there's certainly things to talk about there, but I'm more interested in uh, having a conversation about what that means for for teams and managers trying to help teams bring their whole selves to work. And so I wanted to just open that up to the group and and help help me understand maybe from your perspective, what that means. What, is, what does it mean to bring your whole self to work and what does that look like? I think there's one thing we should talk about first or quash first, and that's the idea that anybody's doing remote work well right now. Uh, even even folks that like me that have been remote for a decade or better, nobody's doing remote well right now because nobody's working well right now. And I think that's the heart of what we want to talk about today. Um, it's It's this idea that it's okay to struggle with stuff. It's okay for work to feel hard and to, to struggle to bring your focus to work with so much going on in the world. Um, it, it, remote work is an interesting factor in that. Uh, and I say that because one of the closest teams I've ever been a part of was a fully distributed team. We had no office at all whatsoever. Um, and one of the things I realized as I was working for that company is one of the things that made us so close is that we were literally inviting each other into our homes to do work on a daily basis. Because uh, we were also a 100% pairing culture. So you would literally spend your whole day on a video call with somebody else writing code in a shared text editor. And, you know, we, we all laugh like in the 30 minutes when somebody's kid wanders in the room or their dog barks in the background and you hear this little little snippet of their life that happens in the midst of a call. Well, when you're on a call with somebody for six out of eight hours a day, that stuff happens a lot. And it doesn't take long to learn the dog's name, to say hi to the kid by, by name when they walk into the room, uh, things like that, that you don't necessarily always know your coworkers' kids when their coworkers in an office 
but most of the remote workers I know have seen each other's kids at some point or another. And so it, it's interesting that we're struggling through this time and everybody's being asked to work remote, but also to work in a way that is non-obviously more personal than the way that they've been used to working. That's a good point. I'm actually looking at a screenshot right now that I took this week because it w affected me in some way of a just a normal stand-up, like a, check, a, a daily check-in we did with our team. And I'm seeing somebody's daughter and uh, daughter Karumi and daughter Laura and dog Steve and cat Bodie. And people are, you know, bringing parts of their life to work that you would never really think to do in an office context or, you know, in, in some cases you might, but that, that, that feels like you were supposed to keep those worlds separate so that you could bring your work self to work and have your home self at home. And this idea that a person would kind of be the same person in both of those contexts and have those kind of uh, blend together in some way still feels a little weird and still feels a little foreign, even for me, who's been doing this for a while now. I think one of the interesting shifts in, in thinking that I, I didn't realize that had happened when I started working remotely is you shift from work being a place that you go to and home being a place that you go to, to work being a mode and home being a mode. And, and they're, they happen in the same place, but they're a very different mindset. And the interesting thing is that the the dividing line between them becomes much fuzzier and the onus on you to have the right level of boundary there is different because when you're at the office, that boundary sort of happens automatically. When it happens, when you're working from home, uh, the boundary is a little more interesting to navigate in some good ways and in some difficult ways. And maybe it's too early to to bust into this conversation, so we can table it if we want to come back to some some more basic stuff. But something that I've been grappling with the last couple of days has been this like boss mode that you can kind of go into. Like I've run companies in the past and I've run engineering departments and there's a sense that you're supposed to have the answers. And I remember getting feedback from people saying, hey, when you express yourself in a way that where you're talking about the things that you're afraid of, that makes me afraid for my job. So please don't do that. And I went, oh, vulnerability is off the table. And I learned the wrong lesson. I, I heard that feedback and I interpreted it as don't show vulnerability as a leader. And uh, I must be this person in this role. If you're the CEO, your job is to be the CEO. If you're the boss, your job is to be the boss. And, and, and I actually brought this up with a teammate who's very, very experienced and who I trust a lot and said, um, I feel like it's a bad look for a person leading a team to say, hey, I'm not sure what's going to happen and I'm feeling kind of nervous about it right now. And they went, wow, you really underestimate the amount of permission you have to be a person uh, with this group. And I realized, wow, this is so different. I'm actually in a, a mesh of people who are here to support one another. And I'm just part of the support structure that's like a peer-to-peer a, a -peer mesh lattice support structure and not a top-down hierarchical I have all the answers structure. And I don't know what happened in that previous structure. It might be the way I structured the company. It might be because CEOs really shouldn't talk too much about what they're afraid of. So people don't fear for their jobs. But I've seen CEOs now have give that example and it doesn't make me fear for my job. So um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what changed in that time period, but I do feel like now as a manager, I feel especially managing a remote team where I'm a little bit more of myself, where I'm bringing more of my whole self to work, that I'm able to be a little bit more human than I would have if I were just 
you know, if I were like back in boss mode where I was supposed to have the answers. So I've got a really personal example of that that happened last week. Uh, my wife was in India for two weeks and was scheduled to come back to the U.S. the Friday that the European travel ban kicked in at midnight. And Wednesday, after it was announced, Thursday during the day, I was wearing it all over my face, and there was absolutely nothing that I could do to, to avoid looking worried on video calls. And so people were asking me, what's, what's wrong? What's weighing on you? And I was telling them that the whole spiel that my wife was coming in, and I was worried about her transiting through Frankfurt and whatever. And the most gratifying thing that happened was the number of people that checked in after work on Friday, over the weekend, today, to make sure that she'd made it in okay. And it, it was it, it was just illustrative of exactly what you're saying, where there is this sort of mesh support network um, that requires some some vulnerability from you as the manager. But it also the thing that I realized as as I'm doing that is it sets a good example for those feelings being okay. It normalizes that fear that everybody's feeling, and it makes it okay to feel that at work because you're going to feel it. And, and the choice is you can either hide it and pretend that nothing's wrong or we can talk about it. And we all know that it's often easier to deal with feelings when we've talked about them than when we're holding them in. I had an experience literally today to that effect where I had made the mistake of not closing my email client that has my personal email in it as I was getting emails from every service that I depend on daily from gyms to pools to you know restaurants, just click, 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 we're shutting down, we're shutting down, we're shutting down. And it's like, this feels like the end of the damn world here. And um, I'm trying to focus on work. And I actually really believe the stuff that we're doing at work matters. And it will matter a year from now that we did the stuff that we're doing. And we can talk about that a little bit more about leading through these times and how you can kind of help be a centering person, like centering agent to help people remember that, hey, it, it will still have mattered that we did our best work right now, the best that we could. But even then, I, as much as I believe in what we're trying to do, I can't right now. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to take my kids to the park and we're going to be outdoors for a minute. Um, I don't know when I'll be back, but I'm, you know, like this is too much for me right now. And I was really nervous about revealing that much about, you know, my current mental state. Um, obviously people responded really, really well to that um, because I have a very caring group of people that I work with. Um, it, it's it's really scary. I think in those moments, it should probably scare you to, to put yourself a little bit out there. It should be a little bit scary. Um, and it's difficult sometimes to know like where the line is with too much. Um, but it's if you're if you're the type of person that worries about that, it's probably more than you're thinking right now. That's a good point. So I want to push on that idea a little more of bringing your whole self to work. And and I want to ask you, Nick, you were talking a minute ago about inviting people into your homes when you're working remotely. Like, what is it that's different to you? Like, what is it that's different to you about bringing somebody into your home as a coworker than working in an office from your experience? Well, I mean, so the two of you right now recording this podcast with me, you can see my video background. Uh, you see that there is an elliptical over my right shoulder you see that there's a red craftsman toolbox over my left shoulder. There's a hamper of dirty towels right behind me. Uh, there's a couple of soccer scarves and a bunch of conference lanyards hanging on uh, 
on my bookshelf behind me, and there's a Goose Island beer poster right behind me. And so just by looking at my backdrop, there's a lot that you can infer about my life. There, there's a lot of things that you can hook onto, and maybe you're a soccer fan and you notice the scarves hanging over my shoulder, and it's the first time we've talked, and you go, hey, are those soccer scarves? Well, immediately we've got a connection because you know something about me because you have seen my office. You've seen a place that I've decorated and and is is representative of me and who I am as a person and the things that I care about. And you can do some of that in an office. You can put some stuff up in your cubicle and whatever, but you're not meeting in your cubicle. You're not meeting in, in your office most of the time. You're meeting in a conference room or at a coffee shop or something like that. So inherently we're having these meetings now in a place where we live. Some of us in an even more personal place because we're not used to working from home. And so we're having meetings from our dining room table or from our couch or from wherever. Um, and so there, there is this inherent personalness that comes from sharing that small window into your life when you get on a meeting with somebody. And when everybody on the call is doing it, 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 it creates some interesting effects. Did you ever see that CNN interview where they have this like expert and he's got like a world map on his back wall and his child like opens the yes. door while he's on national TV? He's on like CNN. So that happened three years ago, a couple of days ago. No, oh, three years did. ago. I'm I'm not kidding. It popped up because I had shared it and it popped up in one of this this day in history things. Um because the whole point of it is he he did an interview afterwards and he said that his daughter was in a very hippity hoppity mood. And she I was so jaunty. That. It was so cute. Yeah, I know. No, I I reposted the interview that he did and said life goals be in a hippity hoppity mood more often. <laughs> I mean, so that's that's a funny thing to talk about, right? You know, yeah. we we've all had kids pop on video calls and I don't know about y'all, but for me, that's one of my favorite things that happens on work video calls. I love it when a coworker's kid shows up and I get to say hi and meet him. Yep. Yeah. My wife today posted a uh, photo of my daughter dressed in her uh, Princess Elsa dress uh, on the couch behind her, stretched out and just like, hey, I'm going to hop on this video call for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and And if you think about it, the guy who was supposed to be recording something on TV was probably mortified. He's like, I'm on CNN. My daughter's not supposed to be doing this. And it's actually the best thing that ever happened on CNN. And, you know, like it's something that three years later, we're celebrating the anniversary of the day that somebody who was broadcasting remotely uh, brought his, you know, daughter into our lives through, through this means. And so I really, uh, I think we have a tendency to, to fear those intrusions of our personal life because it's, I think there's a waning sense that that's not supposed to be there. And remote work just kind of comes in and shatters that because you can't keep those separate. Yeah. So, and that's an interesting thing because you started off this conversation, uh, Brandon, with the, the story of, uh, one of your employees coming to you and saying, Hey, this makes me nervous and feeling like you needed to shut down. Um, short of that, have you ever got pushback when you felt like, when you felt uncomfortable sharing something or in the moment you're that there's that little, for, for me, it's the editor in my brain that goes off. It's like, should I have just said that? <laughs> yeah, I would say I've definitely put my foot in my mouth. Um, but you learn, you learn that, that mini editor capability where you, you know, there is such a thing as oversharing. 
but there's also such a thing as having such a deep level of trust with somebody that it's nearly impossible. And, and so like it's, it's, um, you know, we've talked about trust in the, in the marble jar that you put enough marbles in the jar and you have a full jar of, of marbles. Um, there's an amount of marbles you can have in the jar where you kind of, you can kind of share anything. Like you wouldn't meet somebody the first time, uh, and say, oh, you know, I'm dealing with these health problems and my dad's in the hospital and you know, this is happening and that's happening. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on. We just met. And I think that is the distance that people are used to keeping between themselves and their coworkers to some degree. And there's something about working remotely that forces you to reckon with the fact that that distance is almost impossible to keep. I mean, it's, it really is the, the kid walking into the room, right? It's like our humanness gets thrown in each other's faces from time to time because it's kind of hard to keep it off of a video call when we're joining each other from our, our own houses. So that's the reality that on the ground in this world that, you know, you, you were talking, we were talking before the call, how many of us have been able to focus this week on our work for stretches and it's God, it's blessed relief when you can. Yeah. I want to focus on my work. I like my work. I enjoy my work. I'm good at it. And I can't, I just can't, I can't even as they, as the kids say. I think every call I've been on this week has started with five to 10 minutes of talking about life and what's going on in the world and like the the collective coping that we do together and then at some point we'll kind of snap out and go okay we should we should really talk about what we scheduled this meeting for Mm -hmm. and i think that's good i think that's healthy i was just gonna say have you felt closer to your team prior to this week though and that those conversations like i feel like that's the the centering thing that happens when you have that small talk um and events like we have right now are forcing it <laughs> yeah. just because it, it is, it is literally DDoSing our attention. Um, so we're trying to like cope with it any way possible. And we see another human. We're like, Oh, somebody to talk to. We're having a shared experience right now. Let's talk about that. Um, I, and I, but I think that that, that small talk, it helps create those bonds that make you feel closer to the team to help fill up that jar because you're talking about the craziness of the line at the store that you waited in two days ago or yesterday. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always warn folks who are working remotely the first time is that your meetings are going to feel less efficient because you're going to spend time on the margins having small talk. And if you choose to fight that, it's going to make your team less close. But if you choose to put down some of that meeting efficiency and, and lean into having a couple of minutes of small talk before you get busy in the meeting, remote work is surprisingly effective and surprisingly close. Yeah. The thing, if, if for anybody who's feeling that and seeing that as like, Oh man, there's this five minutes that's wasted at the beginning of every meeting. Think about the five minutes that it took you to walk across the office to the conference room, carrying your laptop, talking to somebody. That's when that conversation happens. Um, it just ambiently happens when you're sharing a space um, you have to create a space for it when you're remote. Yeah, I, I would echo that. And and then I think it may be worth talking about a couple of tactical things in there. Um, you said that this stuff sort of happens automatically and in, in by osmosis in the ambient atmosphere uh, when you work in an office and you have to kind of create that when you're remote. Um, it's interesting when you, Nick, a second ago, you were, you were talking about um, 
you know, talk, the, the small talk, and, and some people may find this to be something of an adjustment where their expectation is that they come to a meeting and, all right, down to business. Here we are, on to business. And um, that's a strong bad reference. That's a very old reference. It is an anyway. old reference. I got it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but it's, I think there's still sometimes that expectation of, oh, wow, we just burned 10 minutes. Uh, on talking about our families and life and weekend, but I've spent so much time in that mode with the people that I work with that we actually have an extremely strong bond with each other as people after eight months of all working together, getting to know each other, valuing each other as human beings first and coworkers second. And, and so roles kind of are a second tier concern besides beside behind our human nature. And I haven't had that before. I haven't had that on other teams where I was in person and it was roles first and who the person is behind it. And I don't know if that is a natural function of the way that we've been doing this remote thing, but I've found that easier to get to on this remote team. And part of it though, like you'd said, Travis, you have to kind of defend that. And you kind of mentioned this too, Nick, that carving out or just being willing to allow space for people to ask about each other about their weekends in your one-on-ones, is there room to breathe? Or are you moving to tactics right away? Do people feel like, okay, well, I have an agenda. There's time pressure. We need to do this. Or is there enough room to sort of like, I don't know if the right word is like languish, but you have room. It's a little bit luxuriate in each other's life details of like, Hey, tell me about your weekend. I don't, yeah, we're not going anywhere. Um, and that experience was, so when, when a crisis occurs, I already know everything about their lives. I already know what's tough. I already knew that one person that was working in an office was going to have a really tough time going remote. Um, I already knew, you know, that that people who have kids are going to have a double tough time because they're going to be figuring out what you do when you lose the day-to-day childcare that that exists when your kids are home from school unexpectedly. Um, that people are worried about their their elder parents. Um, these are all things that we know about each other because we're sharing more of our lives with each other. And so in these moments of like, intensity and crisis, suddenly the support network that you hope will emerge is already there. Um, and, and one of the ways that I, I've, this wasn't my idea on the team. Somebody else came up with this. They came up with, um, every week, they just throw a one hour water cooler chat on there for our team. And I was like, that's a great idea. Go for it. Yeah. I've done that with, uh, um, coffee, Friday coffee, you throw 30 to 45 minutes on the calendar and it's whoever can make it, can make it. And there's no topic. It's just going to be hang out and talk. One of my former teams, we had a, a Friday happy hour every week. We were all mostly in U.S. time zones, mostly not not Pacific. So we were kind of consolidated in Central and a few in Eastern, a few in Mountain. And so we'd get together Friday afternoon and, and I'll crack open a beer and just sit there and chat. It has been four years since most of us left that company. And still two or three times a year, we'll get together for a happy hour on a Friday afternoon. And those those relationships are still standing up that we built despite seeing each other in person maybe five or six times. That's super cool. Nick, you were talking about working remote being an intensely personal thing and generally unexpected for a lot of people. Um, I wonder how much of that has to do with the format um, of how these conversations happen when you're working remote. Um, so let's... Let, kind of back up and think about the format of a meeting that you would have when you're in a, uh, an office, you book a conference room, you all walk into the conference room. You might be sitting across the table, looking at each other more than likely. You're probably kind of both 
angled slightly looking up at a TV or something. So you have a shared screen and, and that shared experience. Um, right now we're sitting here. Um, I've got two other monitors in, uh, above my laptop monitor with other stuff on it, but I've got the two of y'all and me, and we're all looking at each other. Um, I see the, the three up of all of us. Um, that's an intensely personal way to have a conversation. Um, I don't know if you can recall the last time you had a conversation where you sat for 30 minutes, much less an hour and looked at the person that you were talking to the whole time. Um, I wonder if that's something that kind of plays into it. Uh, cause when you do have those kind of conversations, like that's a, that's nearly a first date level conversation. Um, it's an intensely personal, I want to get to know you. Um, so we're setting it up in a way that our, there's a part of our brain going, Whoa, this is, this is not the normal conference room. Yeah. That's fascinating. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Because there's, there's literally no other context other than a video call where you can have a nine up call and look at nine people in the eye when you talk to them and somebody respond to you also looking nine people in the eye at the same time. And so, yeah, there probably is something to that, to the, the idea of the eye contact being a very powerful thing, uh, which th that is an important thing for us to call out. If your video chat tool has a choice between showing the speaker large or showing everybody on the call at the same time, the latter is the view that you want. You want to be able yeah. to see everybody at the same time. You want the Brady Bunch view. <laughs> it really is great. I love the Brady Bunch view, especially like now that my team is nine people. It's absolutely. It's perfectly perfect. Brady Bunch at that <laughs> it's point. Beautiful. I'll, I want to be in the middle. Are, are you around, Alice, like Alice in the center? <laughs> I do. I do want to be Alice, like looking up, down, side to side. Absolutely. I think it's. I think it's also worth calling out a challenge that folks are probably feeling about uh, remote work, and that's that one of the things that glues remote work together over time is being able to see your colleagues in person. Um, it, it's important that you get some FaceTime from time to time. And it makes the video calls feel more personal, more connected when you've sat down and you've shared a meal with somebody in, in the recent past. And if you've been working in an office, you probably haven't done that. You've probably seen them in person, but you haven't spent any social time with them, uh, more than likely. Um, or if you have, you certainly haven't spent social time with everybody. And one of the things most good remote teams I know do is spending some FaceTime together every quarter or so. And I'm afraid that, that where we find ourselves right now, we're going to be deprived of that opportunity for a while. Uh, I've already had a couple of trips that I was intending to take to meet some folks folks face-to-face -face get canceled. Um, and I expect more to get canceled. So one of the things that, that we should talk about is how to bridge that gap a little bit and how to accomplish some of the socialization that we would look to accomplish in those face-to-face -face visits when, when we don't have the opportunity to have them. That's a really good call out. Um, I was very fortunate to have a team meeting happen toward the end of January um, before, boy, you know, it was only, it was only six weeks ago and it feels like 1 million years ago at this point in mid-March 2020. So I've, I've seen people do lots of little tactical things here, um, reserving time to specifically only talk about social things and not talk about work, that we have a thing that uh, randomly matches people up in the organization. I bet lots of people have this because there's a little plug-in and it's called it's called Donut. Donut. We use Donut. Donut. Yeah. Donut's great. Uh, it will randomly, if you're in a lar an organization larger than a couple hundred people, you know, once you're past Dunbar's number, 
basically. If you're over 150 people where people can no longer know everybody in your organization, it becomes really attractive to randomly meet other people in your organization. Um, that's a lot of fun as well. And I've built some relationships there, but I, I'm other than, other than making sure that there's enough time to like ask each other about each other's lives in one-on-ones and make sure that, you know, things aren't so rushed in, in meetings that people feel free to share life details. I'm not sure what other tips I might have. So I think it's, I, I think it's a good call out to have social time every now and again, that is specifically non-work focused. Um, it, it's good. I, we have a couple of the sort of standing coffee meetings or happy hour type meetings on the calendar. Those are great. Uh, one-on-one meetings with people where you're explicitly not talking about work and just hanging out are also great. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is you need to make sure you keep numbers down to a reasonable level. Um, one of the things that I found with, with group happy hours is that as the organization gets bigger, there is a point to where the whole engineering org does not fit in that happy hour any longer. Your video chat tool will still support you all being in the same same thing, but there comes a point where you get large enough that nobody will talk because they don't want the spotlight of talking on them. And so when you see that phenomenon happening, when you've got this big group of people and nobody's saying anything, the clue there is that you need to split the group up into multiple groups somehow. Um, we've done randomly assigned happy hours before. That works okay. Um, I don't have a perfect answer to that yet. I just know the symptoms well enough to know that when you see it, it's something that you should address because you're not getting the most out of that kind of meeting that you can get. Yeah, I think a good rule of thumb for uh, the gamers out there is could you have a board game with the people on the call? If you could have a board game, and most board games stop at about six for very specific reasons, um, it's hard to organize a group bigger than that. Um, that's the point that you can, you could have a conversation that's small enough. Everybody could get a, a chance to talk. Um, a few years ago for, uh, I don't know, about half a year or so I organized, um, a lunch meetup, uh, uh, here in Austin. And, uh, the whole idea was that going to a meetup, um, and even going out and socializing afterwards, you had 20 people and you didn't get a chance to talk to everybody. And if you were trying to meet all of the various people that were there, you didn't get a chance to have a really in-depth conversation, or you had an in-depth conversation with the first or second person that you started talking to. And that was, that was your evening and you ignored everybody else. And the idea was it would be a lunch and it would be limited to six people. So what can you put around a table and whoever showed up is who showed up and we would just have a conversation over lunch over an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Um, it was a really fun experience explicitly because we put some limits on it and said it, it's going to be a smaller group because we want this to be something that everybody can be involved in. Yeah. My experience is actually that the good stuff all feels weird and forced at first. And I hate that as a manager, cause you don't want to do the stuff that your team is like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> That's such a great call out. Yeah. It, it, it all does because you don't really have the trust to pull some of that stuff off at first. But the only way to get to the point that you do have that trust is to just walk through some awkward time together. Uh, one thing one of my team members brought me that I really loved is she pulled together this list of icebreaker questions that are like off the wall. Like, you know, if you were an ice cream flavor, what ice cream flavor would you be kind of stuff? And it sounds really awkward to do that. But when you make everybody, you know, hey, the roulette will spun and it landed on this question and we're all going to answer it. We're all in the same boat now, baby. And so 
um, there's something about that that kind of actually does get people to come out of their shell. And it's kind of like the in-person group get togethers that you're like, oh, are we seriously doing mandatory fun? Is that really happening? <laughs> and it's like, yes, actually, the reason mandatory fun is mandatory is that it actually works. Yeah. And and hopefully, like, you've bootstrapped enough trust from the team that you can go, just ride along with me on this. Like, you may not understand it right now, but I promise you'll be glad you came. You'll be glad you did it. You'll be glad you participated. Um, and so now, and you know, that that crucial tool is taken out of your toolbox for the duration. We're not able to get a, get together in person. And so good news, there are other awkward, difficult to engage things that you can do um, that are other that are remote tools in the toolbox, but they all they all feel like, why am I spending time out of my work week that where I'm not feeling productive right now? Instead, I'm doing this thing that I didn't want to do in the first place. Because if you're managing engineers, you're probably not managing a group of extroverts. Um, not to reinforce stereotypes, but as a non-extrovert, I, I can, I can say I get it. Um, I hate that kind of stuff too. And then it turns out it actually works. It's useful and it causes you to get to know your coworkers in a way that, that helps. Uh, and, and you're glad you did. You remember these things about people. Like you remember, you know, whatever, uh, you know, weird childhood pet that they had or, so there's there's a distinction between the the two the two icebreakers that you've brought up, and I think it's important to point them out. Um, what is if you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be? Versus, tell me about your childhood pet, or what was the worst job you ever had? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is super low stakes, super easy to answer. You don't risk anything in sharing the answer to that question. That's a great place to start, and then you take the group a step further, where you're asking them something about their life where they're sharing about their childhood pet or they're, they're sharing about their worst job or you know, something like that where it's still non-risky, but it's asking them to reveal a little bit more about who they are to their coworkers. And, and it gives everybody some fodder to talk about later in a one-on-one conversation or, um, you know, I've, I've used them typically at in-person meetings and when conversations are happening at happy hour or whatever, it gives folks something to talk about. Um, but it helps people get over that initial reticence to share and, and that initial feeling of needing to hide who they are um, when, when you're trying to get a new team to form up or a, a team to figure out it's okay to be personal even though we're not together in the same room together. So in a leadership training, I learned a, a an exercise that sounded like when I've done this with people, sometimes they recognize the exercise and they're like, oh my God, it's this. And it's the idea of a career timeline. Hey, let's all take a moment and write down our career timelines. This is in the middle. This is like, you know, we're talking about our personal life, but it's businessy. So take me through your highs and lows of your career thus far. You started here. Now you're here. Run me through three high points, three low points. And um, I'll link to one. Uh, but you're, you're supposed to like graph uh, dotted lines, you know, dots above the line and below the line of like, you know, graph your career highs and lows, pick three high, pick three low, show me where you learned, show me what inspired you. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll link to something in the show notes because this is not a thing I have invented. Um, and even though, again, it's it's contrived, it's formulaic, and it absolutely works. It absolutely gets people to, because it, it gets people in a mindset where they can think about exposing some things about themselves that might be a little more vulnerable than what kind of ice cream flavor they'd be. 
And I, I love that distinction. I had never thought about that before, that there is lower stakes and higher stakes stuff. This is medium to high stakes. So you have to have a little bit of a baseline of trust before you, you would be willing to share this kind of thing with your teammates. Uh, another thing I do where the stakes are high, where I really need people to bring more of themselves to the meeting than they might, if it were just tactical, if, if I'm really getting into like big strategy with teams and I really need them to bring, you know, I'm trying to get them to expose things that might be scary to expose because you're going to enter into conflict and, you know, people that you may or may not know that well, you're, there's risk there. It's scary to bring yourself to work because suddenly the version of yourself that you're bringing, people might reject. And wow, that sucks. It's one thing if you reject my idea, but it's another thing if you reject me as a person. And so exposing vulnerability is really scary. And so in, in order to make that a little bit safer, this is another thing I learned in it, in it, other, uh, leadership training thing was doing like a check-in before you start one of these important meetings and say, how do you feel about being here? Really? What's pulling your attention away from this? And what do you hope to get out of this? And I have had really good luck asking those questions. Hmm. I don't do this that often. Cause I don't, you know, I don't want to start checking with that, but when, when the stakes are kind of high, like, how are you feeling about he- being here? Really, like, really, really. And it's, and I want to, people to know, hopefully by the way I ask the question that if the answer is, I think this is a big fat waste of my time. Like, great. That's a valid answer. Thank you for sharing that. What do you hope to get out of this? And what's pulling your attention away? W- when you have a cadence of asking those types of questions and knowing that it's okay to say whatever you're thinking, um, saying, Hey, our, our world feels like it's on fire right now. That's pulling my entire attention away from three-fourths of my work right now. You know what? Totally get it. Literally same. I feel like you can make it safe to, for, for people to bring that part of themselves and like um, bring their imperfections. I don't know if you've had this experience of like bringing your imperfect self to work. I mean, I've seen it a lot recently. Uh, we've had a lot of that conversation at, at, in the lead-off of meetings where we're just kind of going around about struggles to focus and struggles to not think about all of the things going on in the world around. And, you know, it's exactly what you said earlier. It's nice when it happens. It's a nice break from all the stuff going on in reality when you can focus on work and not all of the external stuff that's happening in the world. Um, But at a time when there is so much stuff happening in the world, it's hard to do that. I mean, I think that's part of being able to bring your whole self to work is to be honest that you know, we've talked about seasonality on this show before, and I, and I think this is a great, although extreme, example of seasonality. I mean, literally everybody in almost every company is going through a trough right now. They're they are going through a dip in that cycle when their productivity is going to be low because stuff is going on in everybody's life that makes work not the most important thing to any of us. And that's okay. Um do we still need to show up? Do we still need to do our jobs? Yeah. Is it okay if we're not 100% there? Also, yeah, it needs to be. Um, I, I hope we're all fortunate enough to be in companies that realize and acknowledge that. And, and if you're not, you can at least acknowledge that in your team and you can normalize it in your team. Um, you, you can make it okay for the people that work directly with you on a regular basis. So I think one thing that we should do before we end the show today is let's talk about some of the practical things that can make remote work easier for folks, especially folks that are doing it for the first time. And, and I think it's a, the first place that I would start is that the remote work that you're experiencing right now, if this is the first time your company has tried to do distributed work, 
is probably not very good remote work. And that's okay. It's going to be messy. It's going to be sloppy. And if you just lean into that for a little bit, it'll get better. You'll figure out patterns that work for you and your organization. Uh, but don't, don't get so frustrated here at the get-go that you can't make those adaptations and make it better. Yeah, one of the things I would recommend as a part of that in on both sides of it that you learn, well, this can actually be normal too, is accommodating scheduling weirdness. And in doing so, trying to make scheduling as public a thing as possible. When I was working in an office, I made a New Year's resolution like a year and a half ago to accept calendar invites because I just never did. I was like, I don't know, it shows up on my calendar. And people would be like, are you coming to the meeting or not? I'm like, well, you'll know when I show up. I'm, am I in the office? Am I not? Like, you know, I'm here. So that doesn't work remotely. In fact, punctuality um, and making things like concrete and public is really, really important because everything is ambiguous until you're physically there. So you, your, your contracts have to become crystal clear about who's going to be where, when. And so calendars become really, really important. And, and that instead of feeling like I'm being driven by my calendar, which I actually felt more when I was working in an office, like I was going from meeting room to meeting room as dictated by my calendar. Now I feel like, oh, I made these contracts for these calendar times and I just click the link and I'm there. That feels a lot easier. Um, but, but really sticking to that calendar thing means that I can put a three hour block on there that says I'm somewhere else right now. Where? None of your business. I could be taking a nap, seeing my therapist. Like this is, this is, this is Brandon time. So, um, but making, making it sort of like a matter of public record is really important. And, and that actually buys you a ton of flexibility that you might not have had otherwise. I think along with that, uh, another thing that I would say is if you haven't already go set your working hours in your Google calendar, make it apparent to folks when you are at work and when you're willing to accept meetings. Um, because especially if you work with a team that's widely geographically distributed, you will find your boundaries creeping and creeping and creeping if you're not enforcing them. And then you have to go through and clean up your calendar and you have recurring meetings that are outside of the hours you really want to be working. Um, so right now, if you find yourself working remotely for the first time, go and set those hours. Make sure folks know that just because you're home doesn't mean that you can take a meeting at 7.30 in the morning or 7.30 at night. One thing I would add to this list of things to do, um, make time for the, the, the inconsequential, the ambience that happens when you're in an office and whether that's making sure that you've got a few minutes at the beginning of the meeting, that's just to catch up on what's going on, um, or going, going so far or, and maybe you could even take this further, but having some time for whether it's coffee or beers or tea time in the afternoon, but having some specific time that the goal is to get together and chat, whoever can be here, um, without a specific agenda, without relating the work, the conversation relating to work, but setting aside that time for the things that would naturally happen if you're in a shared space. Um, that's the, that's one of the first things that tends to go, um, that I've seen when people transition a lot. I didn't know I needed to do that. Um, I've, I've told everyone who's ever asked me for advice on shifting to a, a remote schedule. Um, the thing you have to, to realize is you're going to have to be a lot more intentional about how you spend your time. And that comes down to making sure that you have that, those times to make that human connection with the people that you work with. The, that would just happen naturally if you were in the same space and breathing the same air. Um, and a lot of people are going to figure that out 
in a week or two, uh, when they realize, why do I feel so disconnected from the people that I work with? I've never felt this way before. Uh, and it's probably because you're not having those conversations about whatever premiered on HBO last night um, or not the sports events right now, but but the things that are happening in your life. Uh, you're not going to have this, those, those ambient conversations that would happen as you're walking to lunch or as you're walking to the next meeting. So make sure to schedule some times times for that. Um, and, and be intentional about it. And to extrapolate from that, don't expect 100% productivity out of yourself. Uh, it's easy to be sitting at your desk, going from meeting to meeting to meeting, not taking time to breathe between meetings, not taking time to go to the bathroom between meetings because you just have meetings back to back to back all day long. That wouldn't be okay if you were in an office. It's not okay at home either. And what's more, what Travis just said, a lot of that stuff happens really naturally in an office. But it doesn't have to happen when you're working remotely. So it's really easy to let yourself fall in the trap of feeling like if you're not being productive 100% of the time that you failed somehow. And that's not the case. Uh, you shouldn't expect 100% productivity out of yourself. It's not realistic. Yeah. yeah. And because of time zone changes and stuff, like I'm, this is something I still struggle with is like literally like back to back meetings uh, being like, oh, man. I should have had lunch like three hours ago. I've had a sandwich made and sitting on my desk for two and a half hours. I was literally about to say the almost the exact same thing. Everybody will recognize that they've hit this point that Nick was just talking about at some point in the next few weeks when they realize, wait, it's three o'clock. I haven't had lunch yet. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and I still honestly have not completely figured that out because um, it means saying no to things. And moving things around and asking people to accommodate you. Uh, I know people that put lunch on their schedule. I still have not done that. I mean, another thing. So I've got two contradictory pieces of advice to give. Uh, one of them is to make sure that you're separating work and life. Uh, part of the key to being able to do that for me is routine. And so the the way once once work becomes a mode and not a place, you have to have ways to get your mind to shift into work mode. Uh, for me, that takes the form of making a really frilly cup of pour-over coffee every morning. My coffee r routine is so fussy, um, <laughs> but it's that little bit of mindfulness that, that walking through that routine gets my brain to shift into work mode and ready to walk into my office and actually do work for the day. And, and it's become a really important mental transition. Um, and then at the end of the day, I'll often take five or ten minutes to either meditate or play some video games, one or the other, before I walk out of my office and go greet my family because I don't have a commute to put work down anymore. And, and I, I miss the, I, I don't miss being in a car for a significant portion of the day, but I do miss having a little bit of margin at the end of the day to put work down and be ready to come into family life. And so I, I think it's important to give yourself that margin. Um, the contradictory piece of advice that I'll, I'll put alongside that is you also have an opportunity for work-life integration that you've never had before. And we're all finding ourselves in some pretty extenuating circumstances right now where we have kiddos at home from school for extended periods of time, and we're all dealing with life stuff like trying to find toilet paper for your household that wouldn't have been a concern a few weeks ago. Um, you have availability to take time out of work pretty easily to go and take care of some of those routine life concerns. Um, you can always put some time in in the evening if that's something that you need to do to get your work done and to catch up on it. Um, but what I think most of us who have been working remotely for a while have found 
is that that stuff tends to balance itself out pretty naturally. And there's plenty of times where we all give a little bit more than what we need to give in a given day. So on the occasional day when we give a little bit less than what we would normally give to work in a day, it all balances out in the end. And so on the one hand, good boundaries, make sure that you're coming to work and you're at work when you're work. Uh, but on the other hand, take advantage of the opportunity for work-life integration that you may not have had before. Yeah, and this is going to sound so cliched, but oh my God, take showers. Back when I was, my before my gym shut down, I would go to the gym and I would come and I would race back to the, to, uh, and I, I have faced with a choice. I could take a quick shower or I could make a cup of coffee. Well, coffee wins. I'm going to sit down in my sweaty gym clothes and take my first meeting of the day. Like, that sucks. Like, take a shower, figure it out. Take showers. Don't work in your gym clothes. I promise you won't regret it. Uh, that, that That's a form of self-care that's worth practicing. Can either of y'all work in your PJs? I've never done it, and I never will. I've tried. I can't do it. Cannot no. do it. No, it's a mental state. Yeah. yeah, I can't even do like side projects like that. Yeah. Um. No, it, it, almost the inverse. Periodically, I'll do formal Fridays at randomly <laughs> at, at absolute random. I would say on average every seven weeks. I will just show up on a Friday wearing a full suit. Like, here I am, baby. I People are guy, like, what is wrong with you? I had a guy who used to do that. <laughs> I don't want it to become a thing. I just want it to be a thing that's like, surprise, suit. <laughs> um, that may be part of it, too, is the is sort of like keeping randomness and fun and quirkiness in your in your work environment is something that is easier to do when you have um, oh, today is goofy hat Friday. And it's like, you know, nobody wants to, that's the kind of forced fun participation that is awful. And so I'm not asking anybody to do anything other than look at me wearing a stupid suit, um, which I get is its own form of torture. But I would say one other thing I will bring up that's vastly different. And, and there's a lot of back pressure in the industry about this. And I don't, I don't want to hit this too hard, but there are two kinds of work. When you realize you're working remotely, there's synchronous work and asynchronous work. And when you're working in office, everything is synchronous work. It's all synchronous all the time because there are people to ask questions. Hey, uh, look at this document I'm working on. And you're lucky if you can get heads down time on something. And when you're working remotely, uh, other than the fact that you're in back-to-back meetings and you don't have time to take a bathroom break, um, there is a sense that a lot of what you do could be done asynchronously. This meeting could have been an email. That could have been a document that you're collaborating on. I know 37 Signals basically pushes to the extreme opposite end where they think 95% of work should be happening asynchronously in documentation and only periodically people should get together to synchronize. Um, I tend to fall a little more in the middle because I like connecting with human beings. Like my, my mental picture of how like that style of work is, is you like do this, build this widget and put it in a drawer. And then you wake up, you know, the next morning and you pull the drawer open and there's money in it. And it's like, well, that's a really depressing existence to me. I don't want to build a widget, put it in a drawer, pull it open and there's money. And I never saw a person in the middle there. But there, it, it's true though, that a big part of our work is asynchronous. And I've learned to move more of these conversations, because I think teams can start feeling overwhelmed with meetings. It's easy to do this as a manager, and this is going to be a rookie mistake that everybody moving to remote makes, is you over-synchronize. And it's like, oh, let's have a meeting to talk about this decision. Let's have a meeting to talk about this. Let's brainstorm this. Let's do that. And your team is like, oh my God, I cannot do anything. 
you, I, I can't stop this from happening. If you're managing remote teams and you're relatively new to it, you will hear this feedback. And I'm very sorry. It is a natural part of the process. And as you pull away from it, um, it's important to learn which parts of your process are synchronous and which parts could be like a Google doc that you, uh, pull up, write up, and it, it should take some homework on your part to say, here's my proposed new process for this. Here is my proposed design for this. Um, I really miss whiteboards, but you could use a tool like Miro uh, to say, here's, you know, here's a, a diagram of how this object model might look. Um, there is a lot of work that could be moved to asynchronous work and be more inclusive of people across time zones or whatever. So one of the things that I've done to cope with that in particular is I rarely call a meeting. We have our routine meetings that we do, but but if there's something that feels like it needs synchronous conversation, I leave that decision on whether to call a synchronous meeting or not to the person on the team that's driving that decision. Uh, and most of the time, I find that they make a very good decision about if we actually need FaceTime to decide a thing, or if we just need to spend a little bit more time writing it up, or if, if it's a combination of the two, if there needs to be a write-up and then a conversation about it in, in a week or so after everybody's read the write-up. Um, but I think you're right. I think managers generally are instincts because we do work more synchronously. So much of our work is face-to-face -face conversations. We default to that way of working more often than we need to. In defense of uh, Basecamp, I would say that that their model, at least if you 100% uh, believe that that shape-up is the way they run their team right now, uh, is that uh, they'll do the write-up and then have the meeting to determine is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Um, so they, they do have a combination. They definitely like, they're not going to have the conversation at all until they have the write-up. So they definitely err towards the, this has to be asynchronous um, to even start the conversation. And I think one of the, the things that gets lost in that um, and is easy for a, a, a manager to go one way or the other uh, is that it really comes down to personal, like how do you learn? How do the people on your team learn? Some people need that, that conversation time. I'm one of them. I need to talk through an idea. Um, and I need some time just to kind of, uh, freestyle on the idea for a little bit and bounce ideas off of people and try to refine it into the thing that I want it to be. Other people are like, let me go think about this for whether it's two hours or two weeks, let me go think about this and write some stuff up and then let's have the conversation. It really comes down to a learning communication style uh, thing. Now, when you're dealing with a whole team, you've got to find the balance of the the whole team. I would argue that that somebody like Basecamp has probably selected for people that do really well in the isolated. I'm going to think about this and present my ideas and then have a conversation because that's how how they work at the top. So they've sort of self selected into that, uh, and it it works really well for them. But not everybody is going to have that uh, that style of of understanding. Yeah. I, I just will say I miss whiteboards so much. You, you mentioned, you know, talking through things being how, how you solve problems. And I, mine is talking through them with a marker in my hand. And I've done a lot of software design with a, with a, a whiteboard marker in my hand. And I find myself like, it's like both hands tied behind my back when I'm trying to document, you know, software design. Now, like, um, I, and almost everybody I talk to in this industry feels the same way. Like this is actually still a problem. You're not going to magically, you know, solve it. But, uh, I, 
there are tools out there that can kind of approximate some of these things and you'll find workarounds, but there's, there's no substitute for, a, you know, really getting a two or three people to a whiteboard and erasing stuff really quickly and having like low cost of change. I'll say that is that like, I'm the exception to that rule. I, I feel like I'm an exception to an awful lot of rules that we, we specify <laughs> here. You're talking about the fact that you're generally dealing with introverts. I tend to lean more extroverted. Um, we couldn't tell. No way. I, <laughs> <laughs> but whiteboards are one of those things I can take or leave. Huh? Man. Um, yeah. There's nothing like, like organizing thoughts on a whiteboard. That's just so satisfying. It and is. I don't even draw so diagrams good. anymore. It's just lists. It's lists of yeah. stuff. But it's like it's you can make a list. really stinking big list on a whiteboard. Yeah. It feels so good to erase one. I've got big monitors and OmniFocus can take up the whole screen. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think, I think the important thing for us to leave folks with here, I think we've given a, a lot of good practical advice. Um, I think the thing that, that we should leave folks here with is just to lean into this a little bit. It feels weird. There's going to be a lot of awkwardness, especially if this is your first time working remotely. It can work. It does work for an awful lot of us. There's just some things that you have to figure out how to do a little bit differently and a little bit more empathetically to accommodate each other and each other's needs as you're working in a distributed team. And, and that's okay. And it all feels different right now because our load of different as a society is just real high. There's so many things that have changed lately. Um, but give it a minute and it'll start feeling a little bit more natural to you. You'll find the patterns that work and it'll be okay. And you won't be as distracted by the, the events of the world around you as they become, unfortunately, a little bit more normalized and less sensational. And we'll find a way to get through this. We'll find a way as a society and as teams to make our way through the things that are going on right now. So just hang in there. It's going to be okay. We'll all find a way through. Well, that's as good enough a thought as any to end on. For all the wonderful human beings listening to this program, we thank you very much for your time. Uh, and uh, you can get a hold of us. We are at Managing Up Show on Twitter. I am on Twitter still, for some reason, at Tubiking. <laughs> I am on Twitter constantly and all the time right now as N means. And I am most everywhere, but only on Twitter for 30 minutes a day, uh, according to the, the restrictions I've set for myself at T Swicegood. So for everyone listening, thank you again. Uh, please share uh, what you've learned with people and be good to each other out there. Thanks. We will see you again next time. Bye, everybody. Hang in there, y'all.